before we read the, the verse on the screen, turn with me to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. This is the chapter that talks about the Feast of the Lord. It's one that you need to be very familiar with. Let me give you a caveat before I get started while you're turning there. I'm going to talk about the Feast of Trumpets and its ongoing significance because it does have prophetic significance. But I, I want to make two things, or maybe three things, really clear. Number one, we never set dates for the rapture. No man knows the day or the hour. So we never set dates for the rapture. Number two, every year around this time, you see on the internet theories circulating about is the rapture going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets on that, on that day, on Rosh Hashanah? It could, but there's nothing in the Bible that says the rapture has to happen on a feast day. Nothing. The rapture is an imminent event. We've got a fly in here, so you may see me swatting from time to time. I'm not having a, an attack up here. But uh, uh, the rapture is an imminent event. It could happen on a feast day, but it could happen before we finish, before I finish preaching. This morning. And some of you may think, well, I sure hope so. <laughs> we had to listen to the whole thing, but, uh, <laughs> but it could happen any moment. It's imminent. Uh, the next thing I want you to realize is the church is under no obligation to keep the Feast of Trumpets. We study these things, and it can cultivate a hunger and a thirst to learn more about the Jewish roots of the church, and I think that's important. But understand, it's not obligatory. You know, if you want to observe the Feast of Trumpets... And I'm not sure how you would, <laughs> biblically speaking, but I asked uh, Joanna, I, I texted her earlier in the week, and I said, do you have a shofar? I will, you know what a shofar is, big horn? And she said, no, but you should have one. <laughs> so, uh, did you have one, Adam? Well, I declare. So, um, anyway, it's interesting, it's, it's beneficial, but Christians are under no obligation to, uh, to keep the feast, Okay. We're not under the law of Moses at all. At all. We are under the law of Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay. Leviticus 23, are you there? All right. So look at verse 24. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Jehovah, unto the Lord. And that's it. Okay? That's the Feast of Trumpets. Not a whole lot is said there. And I, to me, that's provocative in and of itself, that there's so little said uh, to the Jewish people about it. Now, up on the screen, we've got Numbers 29. Numbers 29, verse 1. It says, And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if he will uh, ask God's blessing on the reading of the word this morning. Lord, we thank you. You brought us to church. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's go to the next slide. I've got quite a few, but these, these uh, first several will go quickly. Uh, Yom Teruah is the, is the official name of the Feast of Trumpets. And that means a day of blowing is what it means. You may recognize the Ruah, uh, word for breath or spirit in the Hebrew is Ruach. 
this is day of blowing uh, of the trumpets. That's what it's called in Numbers 20, uh, 29. Um, in Leviticus 23 that we read first, it's Zikaron Teruah, which means a memorial of blowing of trumpets. Actually, the trumpets is added on there by the translators. It's, it's a memorial of blowing, blowing the trumpet. Most people call it now uh, Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year. And so that kind of uh, robs, it, robs it of some of its biblical significance. But we do the same thing, you know, like on Independence Day. What does most of us call it now? Fourth of July. People, I'm a, I'm, there's probably a whole generation of kids who don't even know why we celebrate the Fourth of July. Amen? Uh, yes, amen. I'll amen myself. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> there's a Jewish tradition <laughs> that, that the world was created on Rosh Hashanah. And they based it on Job 38. Now, this is a Jewish tradition, okay? It's not, there's nothing in the Bible that says that it was created, the world was created on that day. But the, the rabbis believe that it would, and they base it on Job 38, verse 7. You know, in Job 38, verse 7, God talks to Job, and he has his encounter with him, and he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world, and, and so on. And he says, when the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy. And the, the Hebrew there is the blowing or shouting, the shofar. Uh, so the rabbis believe that the world was created on the Feast of Trumpets. That's just, you know, food for thought. Don't know if that's true or not. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Now, what do we do on the Feast of Trumpets? Well, uh, it was a one-day festival. If you'll notice now on the calendar, it's observed for two days. This is the, day, the Feast of Trumpets, by the way, today and tomorrow. And uh, the reason they moved it to two days is because the Jewish day begins at sundown, okay? And supposedly, that sundown is when you can see three stars in the sky. And because there may be Jews in one part of the world, you know, in Israel and maybe in other parts, and it wasn't quite sure, you know, they couldn't be quite sure when the third star was visible. So they, to cover all the bases, they extended it to two days. Uh, it's a day of rest. It was a Sabbath. Uh, it's a day of special sacrifices, uh, offerings by fire. Uh, importantly, it's the blowing of the trumpets, uh, the shofar. And you, you might see most of the shofars, they're these curved horns and stuff. Uh, they, the rabbis did not like them to be made out of cows or whatever because of the golden calf. They, they like them to be made out of ram's horn. And the reason is because uh, when... It's to commemorate when uh, Abraham offered Isaac and there was an, uh, a ram was offered in his place. And so they prefer that it be made out of a ram's horn. But again, this is just food for thought. Next slide. Now there were several blasts of the shofar. Uh, one is the tekiah. One long, smooth blast that symbolizes joy and contentment. Uh, the Shevarim, which is three medium blasts, symbolizing moaning or weeping. Number three, Teruah, nine short staccato blown in rapid succession. By the way, there was like a hundred trumpet blasts on the day of uh, trumpets. But the last one is the one I want you to pay particular attention to. That's the Tekiah Gadola. And that's the last trump, very long, uh, one continuous sound, and they were to blow until they ran out of breath. And for me, that probably wouldn't take too long. But, 
you know, okay, and I, I had a little bit more in there, but I just, I didn't go all the way with it because I didn't want to pass out, but, uh, but anyway, that's the Takia Godola. Now, see, if I'd have had a shofar here, I could have really put on a show, couldn't I? Uh, all right, let's go to the next slide. Feast of Trumpets in Scripture. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to give them to you. By the way, if you want this PowerPoint, I will email it to you. Uh, Leviticus 23 and uh, Numbers, 19, Numbers 29. Now, Psalm 81 is a question mark. I'm not sure that this is referring to the Feast of Trumpets, but some scholars think that it is. Uh, Ezra 3, verses 1 through 6, and then Nehemiah 8, uh, verses 1 through 12. Very interesting. Uh, Nehemiah passage, uh, they're, they're observing the Feast of the Trumpets, and he stands and he preaches the Word of God. And it says the people were weeping. They're weeping when they hear the Word of God. And he tells them not to, to weep. So make sure you check those out on your own, even though I'm not going to cover them this morning. All right, next slide. We're rocking and rolling. Usage of trumpets in the New Testament. Uh, one way is an announcement. Remember in Matthew 6, verse 2, Jesus said, when you do your alms, don't blow a what? Trumpet. So often the trumpets were used to announce certain things. Uh, trumpets were used to announce the coronation of a king, uh, maybe a wedding, a call to battle. Um, and that's 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 18. Paul says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? Now, some of you act like that we should play a trumpet when you come into the room. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Do, 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 do. <laughs> Roll out the red carpet. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 19, the trumpet is associated with the, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the long trumpet blast. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. And if you have difficulty finding the book of Revelation, we really need to have a long talk. <laughs> Revelation 1. The book of Revelation is divided into three sections. That's the key to understanding the book of Revelation. Revelation 1. Look at verse 10. John said, I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day. Now, that's not Sunday. I know some of you believe that, but that's not what the, the Greek is actually teaching here. But it's, it's the day of the Lord is actually what it is. John sees the, uh, the events of the end of time, the, Lord, the day of the Lord. But he said, I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and behold, uh, behind me I heard a voice as of a what? Trumpet. Now, I want you to notice how the book of Revelation is organized. Look at verse 19. Notice what God tells uh, John to do. He says, write the things that you have seen. That's the resurrected Christ in all of his glory. Write the things which are. That is the church age, chapters 2 and 3. And the things which shall be what? That's future. Okay. Now turn to Revelation chapter 4. Now, John sees the resurrected Christ in chapter 1. In chapters 2 and 3, there are the seven letters to the churches. In Revelation 4, verse 1, 
John says, after, notice it says after this. After what? After the church age. After this I looked and behold a door was opened where? And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a what? Trumpet. Interesting. Talking with me saying come up hither and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. Remember the organization of the book? The things that you've seen, the things that are, and the things that shall be hereafter. Everything from chapter 4 on is future. It's future. Okay? It has yet to happen. And here's another interesting little tidbit for you. The church is not mentioned after chapter 3. Uh, it's 3 and 4. Um, you see the church in heaven is conspicuously absent in chapters 6 through 19. And that ought to tell you something. The church is not here on earth during the tribulation period. We are going to be spared. And, uh, and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. Let's go to the next slide. The prophetic significance of the Feast of Trumpets. Isaiah 27, verse 12. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt, and you shall be gathered one by one, you children of Israel. And it shall come to pass that in that day that the great trumpet, the Hebrew there is the shofar, shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcast in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. This is the prophetic significance of the uh, Feast of Trumpets. Now, let's get into the fun stuff. What is the ongoing significance of the Feast of Trumpets? Let's go to the next slide. Now, there's three major... Uh, passages in the New Testament that talk about the rapture. John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, and 1 Corinthians 15. Let's talk a moment about John 14. Now, you may remember that you and I uh, went through what is called the Upper Room Discourse some time ago. Let's look at John 14. And I've got it on the screen for those of you who are here. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. That's a profound statement there too. Just think on that. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, four important words. Let's read them together. I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This passage is about the rapture of the church. Now what you may miss in a casual reading of this is the imagery of a Jewish wedding. Okay? Now in this discourse, by this time, Judas is gone. He's left the room. Only the loving disciples of Jesus are here for this final discourse. So he's talking... Do you realize that after the resurrection, Jesus is only seen by loving eyes? He doesn't appear to his enemies. Now, I would have done it differently. Amen? If I would have come back, the first place I would have stopped would have been Pilate's judgment hall. I'm like, yeah, here I am. I would have also gone to the Sadducees and said, you guys are wrong. There is life after death. There is a resurrection. But Jesus never appears to his enemies. Okay? He only appears to people that love him. I believe that will hold true until the second coming, which is different than the rapture. 
People confuse the second coming and the rapture because they don't understand the concept of the Jewish wedding. Okay? When, when the church is raptured, that is the marriage of the bride of Christ. Okay? When Jesus talks about the second coming, he often talks about himself as a groom. You ever notice that? As a groom. And the church is the bride. The very first miracle that Jesus performed was where? At a wedding. It's provocative, isn't it? He presents himself to the church as a groom. Okay? So he's telling... that Now here's the Jewish wedding tradition. There's a betrothal, which lasts for about a year. It's a legally binding thing. The, the, the groom then, the, once he's engaged, he returns to the father's house. And he adds on to the house... He prepares a room, and that's why I think also room is a better translation than, than mansion. But, you know, I'm not going to split hairs about it. But he goes back and prepares a room at the father's house. Then he comes back at an unannounced time to get the bride. Now, I'm sure when he told these disciples in the upper room, it probably went over their head. Because all, all they can think about is their plans are going up in smoke, right? So they're not thinking about the Jewish wedding. But Jesus is telling them, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going back to the Father's house, and if I go, I will do what? I will come again. And he says, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am. Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's going to receive us to bring us to where he is. This is different than the second coming. On the second coming, he comes all the way to earth. And he will destroy his enemies. Don't confuse the second coming and the rapture. Don't do it. Don't do it. Here's one way I can help you remember why the church is not going through the tribulation. Okay? The rapture is the marriage of the Lamb. How many of you remember your wedding day, guys? Any of you remember the, your wedding day? Let me ask you this. The night before your wedding, did you beat up your bride? Did you? And I'm not making light of domestic violence. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. We're going to be married. To, we're going to be the bride of Christ. Do you think God's going to beat us up before we get married? You say, well, there's been a lot of people that have suffered in the ages past. What makes us any different? That's the wrath of man. The tribulation is the wrath of God. That's the difference, folks. Don't, don't get it uh, confused. Let's go to the next slide. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, please. First Thessalonians chapter four. Who wants to help me do some reading? Let's get us a microphone. Is this one hot? It is hot. All right, I nominate Adam. Here we go. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. You got your glasses on? 13 through 18. 
Go ahead. 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who slept in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remaining until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of the Lord, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. Hold on to that microphone. Don't, don't get comfortable just yet. Let's look at this. There are seven things... That happened. There's a sequence of events. Number one, the Lord descends uh, into the air. Notice that. Uh, he will descend into the air, uh, verse 16. Um, he's going to descend with a shout. The Greek word is kalusma there. This is a military command. He's giving us our marching orders. I love this. He's giving the church their marching orders. Number three, it says that there's a voice of the archangel. Okay? Now, the word archangel means chief angel. That means there can only be one. Now, he's not named here, but he is named in the book of Jude. And who is he? Michael. Michael is the archangel. Okay, number four. There's the sound of what? Trumpet. This is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets here. There is a trumpet that triggers the rapture and it fulfills Yom Teruah. Very important to see this. Uh, the next thing, number five, the dead in Christ will rise. Now, the, the, the important phrase to see here is in Christ. The Old Testament saints will not rise until later. This is only church saints at this point. Okay? Those who have been believers in Jesus Christ from Acts chapter 2 until the present day. Those, those are the ones uh, that, that it's talking about. Uh, number six will be the living believers. That's, that's us. Or, or those who will be alive at the time. Now, some people get all bent out of shape. And they say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Right? And they say, see, uh, the word rapture is not in the Bible. I don't believe in the rapture. Well, the word trinity is not in the Bible. But I believe in it. Triune God. But the word Trinity is not there. People get all bent out of shape. You know. But if you want to get real biblical, if somebody says, well, I don't believe in the rapture, you say, well, okay, uh, just call it the harpazo. And they'll look at you like you got three heads. That's the Greek word for the rapture. Now, actually, the Latin Vulgate, which was a translation prior to the King James, it actually uses the word rapture. The Latin Vulgate does. But, uh, but the concept is there, even if the word's not there. Uh, if, unless I'm mistaken, uh, the phrase ice cream is not in the New Testament either, but I sure do like it. And I believe in it. It's, it's real. Um, and there's somebody here that tells me they don't just like ice cream, they need ice cream. And I won't mention any names, so, but, uh, but you know who you are. And, uh, so anyway, <laughs> number seven. The last thing that will happen is we'll meet the Lord and remain with Him forever. 
That's the fulfillment of the upper room promise. Remember? Jesus said, I'll receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the fulfillment of John 14. Now notice verse 18, and this is one that people often miss. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The rapture is a message of comfort. Now listen, if I believed that the church was going through the tribulation period, that would be anything but comforting to me. Because as you read the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about the tribulation next week, God willing. Now, I know it's not a pleasant topic, but it's in the Bible. And it's coming, folks. It's on the horizon. Amen. The signs of the times. Here's where people get all mixed up. They mix their metaphors, and I'm using a bad illustration here, but... They mix things that are going on in the tribulation and try to make it fit with the rapture, and it don't. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, most of that stuff has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with Israel. And that's why all the signs are very uh, specific to Israel. Pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath day. Why would the church give any uh, you know, care about that? They wouldn't care about the Sabbath day. Um, when you see the abomination of desolation in Jerusalem... You know, standing in the, where, where Daniel the prophet said it would be. All of these things are, uh, centri are, are uh, specific to Israel. The tribulation is not the time of the church's trouble. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation period, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the purpose of the tribulation is not to purify the church. The only thing that will purify the church is the blood of Jesus. Listen. The tribulation period is not to get the church where it needs to be. The tribulation is to get Israel to recognize her Messiah. That is, and that's what she'll do, praise God. We're going to look at that in just a minute. I'm passionate about this thing. Uh, the rapture is a message of comfort. Now imagine if I thought that I was going through the tribulation period. And I said, well, Willie, uh, a lot of the earth's population is going to be destroyed. There's going to be things falling from heaven millstones falling from heaven. There's going to be sores and pestilences and nuclear wars and hyperinflation, folks. This inflation that you're seeing right now, this is a harbinger of what will happen in the tribulation period. The, uh, the rider, the, the, you've heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. One of the four horsemen, he talks about uh, a measure of, 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 of whatever for a wheat. And it, and it basically says that in the tribulation period, it'll take a day's wages to have a loaf of bread. But it also says, hurt not the oil and the wine. Those are symbols of luxury. So the wealth get wealthy get wealthier, and the middle class is destroyed. And we're seeing that now, aren't we? And our country wants to be socialistic, and I don't have time to get into all that nonsense. But you need to resist that stuff like the plague. Resist socialism is not of God. God's not a socialist or a communist. God is about property ownership. And he's not about being uh, sustained by the government. The Bible says, if any man shall not work, neither shall he eat. We are to be uh, independent. But I'm not going to get into all that. Let's go to the next slide. But if I thought all of that, folks, if I thought I was going to go through the tribulation period, and I said, well, Lynn, we're getting ready to go through hell on earth. But be comforted in that. Take heart, my friend. Isn't it? What an exciting prospect. No. But the message of the rapture is a message of comfort. All right. Are we in 1 Corinthians 15? If not, let's go there now. I'm going to call on Brother Adam again. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the other great rapture passage in the New Testament. 
1 Corinthians 15. If you would read verses 50 through 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on the immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in the vain in the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Let's unpack this. Uh, first thing we realize is Paul says we've got a problem. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's got to be a change. Now this goes as far back to Genesis 2 uh, where God told Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you will surely die, right? And what happened? He died. He, he took uh, and he died. Um, Genesis 3, 17 and 19 outlined the curse of sin and death. Romans 5 Turn with me to Romans 5. I think this is important to see. Romans 5. Verses 12 through 14. Romans 5, 12 through 14. Wherefore, as by one man, everybody say one man. Amen. Who was that one man? Adam. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon how many people? All men. For that all have sinned, everybody. No, no exceptions. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned... From Adam to Moses, even over those that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of him that was to come? That's Christ. Okay. So, ever since Adam fell, men are born sinners. When a child, uh, you know, starts growing. I'll, I'll give my grandson as an example here. How old is Case now, Abby? 17 months. So, you know, pretty soon he'll be two years old. So he'll be saying a lot more things. And AJ won't have to sit Case down and say, Now, Case, when you don't get your way, I'm going to teach you how to throw a tantrum. The right way and the wrong way. And he's not going to have to say, now, now, Case, when you get in trouble and I catch you, here's how you lie. And say you didn't do it. He's not going to have to teach Case any of those things. And he's my grandson, so he's about as close to perfect as anybody can be. But, 
We're not going to have to teach him how to do any of those things. Why? Because he's born with a sin nature. He's, he's not going to have to have any training uh, in, in Tantrum 101. This is how you do it, son. You get on the floor and roll it. You <laughs> don't have to do that. So how do I know that I'm a sinner? Well, I know that I'm a sinner because I, my outward man is decaying. I look at my picture, and I don't look the same as I did five years ago. I look better. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. But, and I sure don't look like I did ten years ago. That cemetery out there is a permanent reminder for me every time I pull in the parking lot that we're sinners. We die. The reason people die is not because they're sinners individually, but collectively. We, sin has come into the whole human race. There are no exemptions except for Enoch and Elijah and the raptured saints, praise God. So there's got to be a change that takes place. And thankfully, the rapture is going to take care of that sin problem, Brother Lynn. And I'm looking forward to it. Because you know, my biggest problem is not the devil. We blame him for everything. We're like Flip Wilson. Remember, how many of you remember Flip Wilson? Some of you do. Remember he had the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other? What was the favorite phrase that Flip Wilson would use? The devil made me do it. My biggest problem is not the devil. My biggest problem is this dude that looks at me in the mirror every morning. That's my issue. And I need to be changed. And that's going to happen for me, thank God. Now here's another thing. Notice Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. Now, don't, don't make it mystical. We, I say mystery, and we think, ooh, it's a mystery. Where's Scooby-Doo when you need him? You know? No. A mystery is simply something that was not revealed, but now it is. The rapture was a mystery until Paul. That's why when you read Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24, there's no mention of the word rapture there or a catching of the way. Because it was a mystery. Now, it wasn't a mystery to Jesus, of course. But it was a mystery until Paul. So when you're reading through the Gospels and you say, Well, I'm looking through Matthew 24 and there's no mention of the rapture. That's because it was a mystery when Jesus was on the earth. But Paul had the revelation. And he says it's going to happen in a moment. Now, the Greek word for moment is the Greek word atomos, where we get our word atom. In an atom of time. And I've seen depictions of the rapture and, you know, and people are just kind of slowly floating up into the sky. We've all seen the pictures, haven't we, of the rapture where everybody's just, you know, kind of like Superman, Lois Lane, you know, just kind of flying through. But the Bible says it'll happen in a moment, not in the blink of an eye, but in the twinkling of an eye. That's even faster. It's like a flash of light. That's how quick it's going to be. So we don't need to be afraid about it. I'm scared of heights. You know, that always bothered me. I thought, gosh, this is going to be kind of rough, doing all that flying. It's going to be in a moment. Of course, when I'm changed, I won't be afraid of heights anymore. And I'll probably do some stuff just to show off <laughs> if, if God lets me do it. I don't know. Okay. Now, the next thing I want you to notice, all of this happens at the last trump. At the last trump. He's tying it with the Feast of Trumpets, and I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. He's tying it to the last trump. Now, the definite article, notice he says the last trump. That means he expected them to know what he was talking about. The last trump. Now, don't confuse this with Revelation 11. I get folks that want to debate me. 
And they'll say, well, in Revelation 11, there's seven angels. And the seventh trumpet sounds in the middle of the tribulation period. And they say, see there, the last trumpet happens in the tribulation period. And therefore, the church is in the tribulation period. I'm going to show you why that, that logic is illogical. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, there was no book of Revelation. It was the last book of the New Testament. It wasn't written to around 95 A.D. So when Paul told them about the last trumpet, there's no way they would have envisioned a book of Revelation. They had no idea it was even going to be written. So what did they tie the trumpet to, I wonder? Well, I've got the answer for you. The Old Testament Scriptures. When Paul was preaching, there was no leather-bound King James Bible. Most of the preaching and teaching that the apostles did was from the Old Testament. That's how they got them to understand. So, what they understood as the last trumpet, remember when I went through the shofar, uh, the different ones, there was a... And then the... And then the... And then the... Better quit. <laughs> that last trumpet, the Takiyah de Gola, that's what they would have understood it to be. Let's go to the next slide. We're almost done here, folks. There are seven feasts in the cycle of Israel. There's three in the spring. There's three in the fall. There's one strange one in the middle, summertime, usually May or June. These uh, are pictures, if you will. Passover was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on Passover. It was fulfilled when he shed his blood. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is tied with Passover. That was fulfilled when Jesus offered his sinless sacrifice, his blood to the Father. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, leaven represents sin. Jesus had no sin. So he fulfilled that feast by presenting his perfect blood to the Father. God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was perfect. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The third feast is the Feast of First Fruits. By the way, First Fruits always happens on the first day of the week. Okay? Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. He fulfilled First Fruits. The next feast is Pentecost. That's the odd one. Happens in the summertime. And it, it, uh, Pentecost is celebrated by these two different loaves. And they're made out of leavened bread. That's an interesting thing. Because leaven, again, is a symbol of sin. Uh, but Pentecost has, was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Holy Spirit came and, and people were baptized with the Spirit. Now, I believe, it is my belief... I will not start a new church or a new denomination over it. If you disagree with me, that's okay. You can go your way. I'll go his way. I'm just kidding. But the fe I believe that the Feast of Trumpets is fulfilled by the rapture. Doesn't mean that it has to happen on that day, but that the typology is going to happen to fulfill the day of Trump, uh, Feast of Trumpets. Now, the next one is the, the, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. I believe that is fulfilled in the tribulation period. The Bible says that they will look on him that they have pierced, that's Israel, and they will mourn as they, one mourns for an only son. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles will be fulfilled in the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ. Zechariah 14 says that the Feast of Tabernacles will be going on during the millennium, 
And if any country doesn't come to celebrate the feast, they won't have rain. Uh, so that's, that's interesting, but check that out. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now, how do I know that, they, that the Corinthians would have made the connection there between trumpets and the rapture? Well, if you read... Now, the Corinthians were not Jews. They were Greeks. And they came out of a real pagan culture. They didn't grow up reading stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Noah. They, they came out of an idolatrous culture. But it's clear to me that Paul, who started that church, taught them about the feast. Because you'll notice uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he mentions Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. In, uh, in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, he mentions unleavened, it should be bread, not break. I should have edited that. That's on me. <laughs> unleavened bread. He also mentions first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. He mentions Pentecost in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8. And he mentions the trumpet, Feast of Trumpets there in that passage that Adam read, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Interesting to me that there are no mention of Day of Atonement or Tabernacles, which all take place after the church age, the rapture, uh, after the rapture, rather. Okay, next slide. You'll be happy to know this is the last one. Nobody said amen, so I thank you for that. You were thinking it. <clears throat> All right, the great parenthesis. You and I live in the great parenthesis of history. The Old Testament does not talk about the church. No mention of church in the Old Testament. And even when Jesus was on the earth, the church was yet a future entity. When Je in the Gospels, Jesus said, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Not it's already built, I will. The church was yet future. The church did not begin proper until Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Now, the, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Feast of Pentecost, you can read about that in Leviticus 23 if, you're, if you want more info on it. But it features two loaves, both with leaven. Leaven is a picture of sin. Now, we live in the church age, and I believe the two loaves uh, uh, represent the, the Jews and the, the Gentiles in Christ Forming one new man. Ephesians 3 verse 6. I believe that. And even though we are members of the body of Christ. As much as I hate to admit it. We do have, still have a sin nature. Is there anybody here who does not have a sin nature? No? Okay. Good. Good. Glad nobody raised their hand. We all have a sin nature. And that's why we need the grace of God. Turn with me now to Acts 15. And those of you who are here, I guess you, don't, you can just look up on the, on the uh, screen here. I lied to you. I got one more slide. I didn't mean to lie to you. Carol looked at me like, how could you do that to me? <laughs> I trusted you. Acts 15. Now, Acts 15 is what we call the Jerusalem Council. And they convened together. And the basic issue was, if a Gentile gets saved, does he have to keep the law of Moses? Um... And, and, of course, they determined, no, we don't have to. But Peter rehearses what happened in Acts chapter 10. And he talks about how he went to the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and that the household of Cornelius received the Holy Spirit just like they did in Acts chapter 2. Same signs and everything uh, in, the, in this exact same way. Now, notice Acts 15, verse 14. Simeon, and that's Peter, Simon, 
has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles. When was that? That's Acts chapter 10. To take out of them a people for his name. And to this degree, the words of the prophets. And he's quoting from Amos. As it is written, after this. You see that important phrase? After this. After what? After God takes out a people from the Gentiles. After this, I will return. Oh my. That's second coming. And build again. What? Tabernacle of David. Is the tabernacle of David built right now? No. There's no kingdom in Israel. There's no temple. There's nothing. There's just, I mean, and most of the nation of Israel right now are not religious at all. It's a secular state, by and large. There, there's, there's a remnant. But God has determined that He's going to visit the Gentiles and take out a people, and then He's going to build again the tabernacle of David. All right, now, last slide, Sam. Thank you. You've done a great job. We overcame some obstacles today, didn't we? But you did, you did great up there. Appreciate these young people serving the Lord. All right. Romans 11, verses 25 through 27. Israel is the key to understanding Bible prophecy. Whenever I encounter somebody that's confused about the rapture and they want the church to go through the tribulation period and, and they want to argue about mid-trib and post-trib and all that stuff, that tells me immediately they don't understand God's purpose for Israel. They think God's done with Israel. Let's look at 11.25, Romans 11.25. Paul says, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this what? Mystery. mystery. Notice again the word mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. You see that word until? That means it won't last forever. Amen? It won't last forever. Blindness has come to the Gentile, excuse me, to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Well, what is that? That's the rapture. That's the church. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Whenever Israel is backslidden, they're away from God, he refers to them as Jacob. But he says, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Israel is going to be saved, folks. You know, I used to see it as something that was not an essential thing for us to, to, to argue about. But the more I think about it, the more I realize just how egregious re replacement theology. Replacement theology is the idea that God replaced Israel with the church. We are partakers of the benefit. We are not takers over of the benefit. God has a plan for Israel, and he will fulfill it. You say, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, let me just put it in layman's terms. God made some promises to this man named Abraham. Remember him, Abram? God made promise to him. And he said, I'm going to give you all this land. And your descendants, man, that fly, he's really active today. I'm going to give you all this land. Your descendants is going to be, you know, like the stars or by the sand, sand by the seashore. I'm going to do all this thing for you. But do you know in Abraham's lifetime, the only piece of property he actually owned was a little burial place for his family. So there are promises to Abraham that have yet to be fulfilled. Promises to David that have yet to be fulfilled. 
And if God does not keep His promise to Abraham, how do we know He'll keep His promise to us? How do we know that? Well, here's the solution. Just take the Bible at face value. And when the Bible promised, when God promised Abraham, and by the way, the Abrahamic covenant was not conditional. God didn't say, Abraham, if you do this, then I'll do that. God, it was a unilateral covenant. God made a promise to him, and he said, I'm going to do this for you. God's going to keep his promises. Israel is going to be saved. But unfortunately, it won't be until after they go through the horrors of the tribulation period. And that, but the Bible says that they will call on the name of Yeshua. Would you stand this morning? The Feast of Trumpets. One of these days, it could be today, it could be 10 years from now. Who knows when it's going to be? But one of these days, that trumpet's going to sound. And the dead in Christ are going to rise to be with the Lord. And the ones who are in the church, the ones who are saved, we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And we're going to be caught up together with the Lord. But, for those that don't know Christ... To those who have rejected him, they will be left behind to go through the horrors of the tribulation period. And some folks say, well, I'll just wait till after the rapture and I'll get on the second bus. You have no such promise. For all we know, and, and I'm, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go too far out on a limb with this, but I truly believe that when the rapture happens, there will be war. There will be some kind of nuclear war or something. And that will help explain the disappearance of people. So don't, don't plan on getting saved after the rapture. Today is your day of salvation. Today is your day. Dear friend of mine, uh, co-worker of mine, classmate, only 48 years old. He had his funeral last week. As far as I know, no underlying health conditions. People, we don't have any promise of tomorrow. Our life is a vapor. We have no promise of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ fulfilled those first three feasts. He did. He died on Calvary. He presented a perfect sacrifice to the Father. And He rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if you will believe that gospel message, if you will repent of your sin, and you will trust Him on His finished work on the cross, those first three feasts, if you'll accept that He fulfilled those and put your faith in Him, that you will have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You will have eternal life. And you can be as sure as heaven as if you're already there. And you don't have to be, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You don't need to be worried anyway. When you watch the news, it's very disconcerting, isn't it? To, to, to watch the news and we see our country falling apart. But listen to me very carefully. Things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. Okay? And if we see the harbingers of the tribulation... Coming events cast their shadows. So if the tribulation period is within view, within the binoculars view, that means the rapture is that much sooner because the Feast of Trumpets comes before Day of Atonement. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure, if you're not sure what would happen if the trumpet would sound today, I invite you to come to this altar and make it sure. We'll pray with you. Would you come?